Sorry, guys. I have to use the restroom really, really quickly. Okay. Speak among so yourselves. Should we just? Uh, okay. We'll just. We'll just wait. back everybody we hope you're all doing well if you've been longing for live music for live shows uh during this time we have a great show for you guys this time we have we're, t- we're going to talk about live music we're going to talk about our live music experiences some of our favorite concerts some of our favorite moments for those from those concerts probably some funny moments as well so tonight is going to be a lot of fun and we uh for the second week in a row we have a guest with us who Josh is going to introduce now. Yeah, so I'm really excited for this guest. Uh, Jeff Morse is a coworker of mine. And, you know, at the company I've been at for just a little over two years, Jeff and I talk about music quite a bit. And he has been to every show that I wish I could have been to. I kind of hate him. <laughs> like, honestly, like deep down in my heart, I hate his guts because of the jealousy that he inspires. But he is a super good dude, an incredibly talented writer, and just one of the sweetest people that I've had the pleasure to meet since I've been moving back to uh, Arkansas. So, Jeff, welcome, and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. I'm a pleasure to be on. I'm, any opportunity to talk about music, I love it. Background of me, I mean, i born and raised um, just south of Chicago in the suburbs, Lived there all the way until I was done with college, uh, moved to, got married, moved to Minneapolis, St. Paul for 10 years, and have been in Northwest Arkansas for 11, 12 years, maybe 12 years. Love sports, love music, love writing, art, just that's me, I guess, in a nutshell. Yeah, well, Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul are some fertile grounds for great music. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. Like it, this is great. Like live music is I just, some of like the classic, like in Chicago, the Metro is like this classic little place where so many bands play right before the rest of the world hears about them. And in Minneapolis, it's like seventh Ave, right? Seventh Avenue. And there's like a little seventh street entry, just so many, so many bands just cut their teeth there. So Yeah. Well, there's something about the cold weather that uh, brings out uh, good music, I think. Yeah. So, speaking of cold weather, one of the things that, uh, that helps me get through the cold weather is hard alcohol. I'm actually out of alcohol right now, <laughs> so I'm just, again, sipping my Diet Mountain Dew like the classy individual that I am. But let's go around the horn. Uh, who's drinking what and how does it taste? Derek, you want to grace us with your brilliance? Uh, brilliant. Um, I am drinking a, this is a rye, a spiced rye Negroni. What is a Negroni? A Negroni is a, it's a, it's a classic cocktail that's usually sweet vermouth, gin, and Campari. That's the three components with a slice of orange. Uh, so I switched it up. You can also do a whiskey Negroni, which I did a, a rye Negroni. This is a spiced one. Has a lot of, um, 
a lot of smoke to it. And it's, uh, I also put some, uh, some cayenne simple syrup with some, uh, I made my own simple syrup again this week has some cayenne, nutmeg, a cinnamon stick and some ginger. Uh, wow. so I let that sit all week and get all nice. And then, um, equal parts of whiskey and Campari. And then there's an ounce and a half of the simple syrup. Of course, you got your customary wedge of orange. So it's pretty good. Wow. Sounds like a spicy V8 for winos. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) There's no tomato in here, though. There's no veggies. Oh, well, that's the kind of salad I like. (sighs) It's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, John? Oh, my classic uh, Guinness extra stout not that yeah. crap that sold in that can it's uh it's my go-to i enjoy it it's not just for breakfast anymore so right. there we go that's it are you jeff nothing fancy <laughs> <laughs> no no it's it, it's foreign so that's exotic <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm just uh it's called hills and hollers is the name of the beer it's an amber lager it's just actually just as a local brew I, i'm a big fan of local brews wherever i happen to be and just the place just a couple minutes down the road, Bentonville Brewing Company. So Sweet. right here in Arkansas. Very cool. Support yes. local. That's right. Support local. Absolutely. Yes. Drink and buy your records at a local record store. Always. It's great to have you guys. We, again, we're talking about live shows tonight, concert experiences. But before we kick this off, we have another sort of new segment we, uh, we're going to talk about our heavy rotation like for the last week or so. What have we been playing? What have we been spinning? What have we been listening to a lot of recently? So I will, I'll kick this off, get it started. We won't take too long here. I'm going to cheat because I know we're only going to do three, but I'm going to do four. And I'll just, I'll just mention again that I was just listening to uh, Sonic's Rendezvous Band. This is Fred Smith's uh, from MC5, his band after the MC5, famously also Scott Ashton from the Stooges on drums. They never, re- they only re- ever recorded one single, but there are a couple of bootleg live live shows that were recorded. This is the one from the Masonic Auditorium in Detroit. Great album. They did a really good job cleaning this up too. It sounds really good. So there you go. And Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Ghost Teen. Uh, this was Bad Seeds' last album. Uh, it is absolutely beautiful. It's heartbreaking. If you know a little bit of the story behind Nick Cave's son passing away, uh, there's a lot of theme of, of a sort of loss and, and, and sorrow in this album. Uh, it's just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece. Along the same lines, sort of, of the Nick Cave story, this, um, this is Roland S. Howard's debut so, uh, solo effort, Teenage Snuff Film. This is just, this is one of, probably one of my top 10 all-time favorite albums. And I started, I put it on again this week. And, and once I started listening to it, I, I kind of can't stop listen to, listening to it. So um, if you're a fan of Roland S. Howard, if you're a fan of The Birthday Party, yeah, you have to find this. I, th- I think, so Fat Possum Records put this out, a reissue, probably a year ago. Um, did a very good job with it. So grab it where you can. Funnily, a funny story. My friend Jerry had a had a sort of a block of burned CDs in his car once, and he was in San Francisco. And he realized that when he uh, when he left his car parked, that Teenage Snuff Film was the top CD there with the name on it. So he just <laughs> I don't know what people thought as they passed by and saw that sitting in his car. 
the last one is, and if you haven't picked this up, even if you, you kind of jumped off the flaming lips over the last several years for whatever reason, or you're just not sure, even if you're not a fan, you're just not sure about listening to them, I give this a listen. This is their new one, American Head. My God, it is absolutely beautiful for fans of the flaming lips if you are a fan of the soft bulletin or yashimi battles of pink robots there's there are elements of both of those um there's a lot less of sort of the experimental electronic stuff that you've heard recently from flaming lips it's kind of a return to that that old form and mostly because it's a very it's a highly emotional album um people are saying that it's it's probably the 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 most that wayne coin has has uh has really dove or dived into his personal history um, and his family is mentioned numerous times in the album. So pick it up. It's absolutely gorgeous. I was waiting for this to arrive at um, my local record store here. So uh, wax museum in Bozeman, Montana and uh, absolutely love it. So there you go. That's my heavy rotation. So uh, my heavy rotation this week is uh, De La Soul's three feet and rising. Yeah. And um, I bought, it's a funny story. I had bought their album, their latest album, because uh, they had the whole dispute with Tommy Boy. And so to get their, their masters back and it, it fell through, uh, they wouldn't come to an agreement. But anyway, so they can't, they don't own any of their stuff except for the, the, the new album, uh, which, I, which, which I bought and directly from them. And they all signed it. Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Uh, I do have that. Um, but yeah, so I'm playing Three Feet and Rising, Fishbones, Truth and Soul. And I've been also playing a lot of uh, Christian Scott Atunde, uh, his uh, Emancipation uh, Procrastination album. And then, of course, I got to throw in some old school, uh, The Head in the Door, The Cure. Eclectic as always. Uh, for me, I, I'm... Um my my true heavy rotation is usually just Peter Cetera. Uh, so, so I'm going to share with you some, some newer stuff that's come out that that's really caught my ear. Uh, one of my favorite bands of all times is Travis a band from Scotland, uh, you know, kind of late nineties, mid two thousands run. And they have a new album out. And the money cut on that one so far for me is called Nina's Song. Uh, But the whole album is great. If you're into Travis-type music, check it out. Uh, The second one I thought was – it really surprised me. It came across my Spotify recommendations, and it's uh, Todd Rundgren and Rivers Cuomo pairing up on a song called Down With The Ship. And it's pretty much just a a rock-steady song. Like, it's, uh, it's very fun. It's almost like a pirate sing-along that you could do with your kids. <laughs> like it's, it's great. It, it, and when it came on, I was just found myself dancing, uh, which was bad because I was trying to pee. And it got everywhere. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why we got Clorox wipes. This week, we're sponsored by Clorox wipes. Uh, <laughs> my third is, uh, is a gal named Tessa Violet. And the song uh, that I really dig from her is called I Like the Idea of You. And it's a bass-driven kind of alt-pop song that's just, again, just super danceable and fun. And, and the music video is great. You guys should check it out. Lots of girls dancing around. It's kind of kind of on a stair staircase it, it really reminds me of the uh beauty school dropout scene from Greece 
mixed with a little bit of like 80s flash dance and the in the dress and the in the dance moves so a lot of fun jeff how about you what's what's your what's your heavy flow this week so yeah my this whole year so far my favorite album my, this whole year has been uh you guys familiar with billy strings yes he so had no i had no idea who he was don't even know if i'd ever heard of him before this year stumbled upon him at the core, it's bluegrass, which is not something that I've ever listened to before. But man, this dude is, he's like a wizard on the guitar. And he's done, he, I don't know how to describe it, but he's done something that takes bluegrass and has, for some reason, when Billy Strings does it, it like speaks to everybody. Like there, there's no separation, you know, bluegrass is one of those things where I think it's, if you didn't grow up with it, it's maybe a little bit hard to kind of get into or adjust to maybe see it live. You might feel a little bit weird. Like, Oh, what am I doing here? Like when Billy does it, he, he just has this way of bringing it to a wider audience. And it's just my appreciation for bluegrass has just gone like through the roof ever since. So yeah. the, the album is called home. Uh, it came out in 2019. I didn't hear it until 2020. And, Man, it's, I mean, it's one of my favorite new albums in a long time. Let me just jump in there real quick, just because that's a, such a good album and a great artist to highlight. Go on YouTube, check out his live performance from the Grand Old Opry. Super yeah. good. And, and what I think he brings to Bluegrass is like, there's still that authenticity. It's not like he's trying to, you know, pop it up or modernize it or anything like that. But he brings just a raw, real type of songwriting, almost like a punk rock ethos to it like it's it's just like his songs are so truthful that they're super relatable uh, and the thing is too like he's young he's a young yeah. dude like young dude you don't you don't just flip on the thing and see like a young dude rocking the bluegrass often so it's just it, it's just i feel like i'm so excited about him because i feel like he is making bluegrass Great again? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's... No, no, let's not do that. I don't know. <laughs> not even going <laughs> to... Sorry, sorry. I just ruined Billy Strings. Wait, yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. But that's it as a home. So check it out. Another one that I've been... I mean, it's been on heavy rotation with me pretty much off and on for the past year and a half or two since it came out. It's a guy you probably haven't heard of. His name is uh, D. White. Again, young dude. This guy is maybe 22 he lives in somewhere in the middle of nowhere in alabama i guess you want to call it country i again like bluegrass i haven't been a huge country fan but this guy again it's just like billy this guy opened the door for me for some reason he's just a damn good songwriter he just awesome. everything that guy he's only got one album it's called southern gentleman but I guarantee people are going to hear of D. White. I, I'm really upset because some buddies and I, we're going to go on a quick like spring break, like week. We're going to do a Mississippi, like road trip through Mississippi, see some old juke joints and stuff like that. And then it, and when we got to Hattiesburg, we were going to see D. White play live. It's some little festival in Hattiesburg that was scheduled for two weeks after the COVID shutdown. So we never got to go and still waiting but anyway, yeah, D. White, it, just an amazing songwriter. The voice alone will, you won't be able to turn it off. It's just an amazing voice. 
Um, and then my third isn't really a traditional, I mean, it isn't really a traditional album. I have had the stacks like artists, like on, when I go on Spotify, I'm just rolling through all of the stacks mixes that are on there. It's amazing. Anybody, you know, from, you know, Sam and Dave and some of the people, you know, that everybody knows from stacks, but, uh, the one band on there, soul children, have you guys heard Soul Children? My goodness. I think they were a little bit lesser known Stax band. A uh, song by them, it's called All, All Day Preaching. That song has more soul. I just, you, you just, like, I don't dance. I get up and I'm dancing when that thing comes <laughs> out. It's just beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, I'll check Very that out. Nice. Like, if I look at my Spotify, like, songs that I've liked, there's, like, I have to scroll for about five minutes to get past the stack section. Because as I yeah. went through, I was like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so good. Very nice. You'll be able to listen to all of those because I can see Derek over there putting the playlist together as we speak. I yeah. am. Yes, I nice. Do. Very nice. So, uh Yeah get down to listening to some of our heavy rotation and get out there and buy some yourself. So our live music experiences, there's a start for everybody, right? So what I want to stay away from when I ask this first question is I know all of us have probably had a show that maybe we went to with our parents or, you know, when we were, when we were youngins that I don't feel like qualifies as your first show. I mean, shit, I remember seeing the coasters at Knott's Berry farm when I was very, very young. They played at the little club called Cloud Nine there. So that doesn't qualify as my first show. So I really want you guys to dig here. You're really, like, really your first show. First proper show you bought a ticket for, you're excited about, when you, you know, grabbed your friends. What was that first show that you went to? Let's start with Josh. Me. Ah, uh, well, mine, <laughs> mine's kind of a hybrid because I know we're not supposed to go with the one that your parents took you to, but... The first concert I went to was with my mom and it's not because she dragged me there or it just happened to be where we were going. I really wanted to go and I actually took my little date uh, with me and this is in sixth grade, went to see Tanya Tucker at the Arkansas, (laughs) Oklahoma State Fair. It was fantastic. The relationship didn't last. It was another six years before I got a girlfriend. I thought you were talking about your relationship with Tanya Tucker. No, that one's still going strong. It's still going? Right. Yeah. We're going to meet up in Texas when we die. <laughs> that was the first one for me. And I mean, you know, it's, uh, I actually am still a big Tanya Tucker fan. And she just played uh, maybe last year at the Troubadour in LA. And oh, a lot wow. of my uh, cool hipster friends out in LA went and uh, saw that. And she was with, I want to say like Steve Earle. Like, or just, I, I, I don't want to be wrong, but just, it was a concert with like some other really kick-ass singer-songwriters uh, in the country genre. And, you know, I kind of, even though I'm a fan of Tanya Tucker, I didn't really consider her as like a good singer-songwriter, you know what I mean? But then I was like, well, you know, thinking back, like she does have some bangers that uh, really, really uh, stand the test of time. So, and, and a very unique voice for, for country, you know, it's a little raspy and, you know, it's got like uh, echoes of Wanda Jackson, but more country. And yeah, so Tandy Tucker, I'm proud of it. Nice. Well, you mentioned the Troubadour and I'm sure venues are going to come up multiple times during or a lot during the show. Uh, that is one place. I know that they've, 
I've seen the emails are struggling during this period, but I hope when, uh, when everything gets back to relative normalcy, uh, not only after COVID, but after this administration as well, that's my only political point for the night, um, that uh, you guys will have an opportunity to uh, attend a show at the Troubadour. If you have not, it is absolutely wonderful because you, I mean, you feel the history in that place. It has not changed much. Um, sitting at the bar, uh, the first bar, the proper bar that you walk into and knowing who sat at that same bar. Um, it's, uh, it's an incredible experience. Uh, definitely try to get out there once in your life. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. Jeff, what about your first show? All right. So I'll quickly gl- glance over like the first one that I actually remember that's not the real first show, but it was kind of cool. It was just weird where it was. I, I was, of all places, I was at Wrigley Field watching a doubleheader Cubs game, and between the doubleheader, Chuck Berry played like three or four songs. Nice. <laughs> so, that's why, I, I don't know, I was like, I was like Josh's first, I was like maybe in sixth grade or fifth grade or something, and it was awesome, it was great, but my first true show, and it really, like, I pinched myself that this is my first show because it, it, it kind of set the bar at like a level, I don't know, it was hard to like beat. So I went, I'll save the great ingredient for last. I went to this show because it was, a, it was 1990, 1990, I think. It was at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin, which is about, it's between Chicago and Milwaukee. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's like a ski place in the hills in the middle of nowhere there and it's at the bottom of the at the base of the the valley there's this awesome venue it's the venue where actually where stevie ray vaughn's helicopter crashed it's the same place um and i i went because at the time i was a huge metal fan and i was a huge megadeth fan had never seen anybody really live before it was gonna be my first megadeth show and it was megadeth followed by slayer followed by anthrax wow but, and, and while that was awesome, the greatest part was the unknown at the time, because their album had just come out a couple weeks prior, the opening, opening, opening band was Alice in Chains. Who oh, wow. Nobody nice. knew. I had nothing, no idea. I, their album had just come out. Some people were talking about them a little, but that's it. They started, my jaw hit the ground. And it was an outdoor venue. Like my jaw was just on the grass. And I looked, when I looked around a couple songs in, like everybody else's jaws were on the grass. Because this, I mean, because when you think like 1990, like we associate now Alice in Chains with the Seattle grunge thing and that whole movement, right? And while Nirvana had Bleach and stuff like Pearl Jam wasn't really a thing. A lot of people still hadn't heard of Soundgarden, although they had some albums, right? Like grunge wasn't a real term yet. And so it was like, who is this? Like they fit kind of with those bands, but this was just this different sound. And I was just, I, like I said, I went to see Megadeth and really excited about it and they were great, but it was, it's this feeling. And I think it's why I still love music so much today because of that experience. It was this feeling of like, Oh my God, this is like that moment people think about when like something significant happens mm-hmm. and you're going to be like talking about this. Well, like right now, how many decades later, right? You, you could just feel that something was different and was happening. And then within a year, the whole thing exploded. 
And I think everybody else knows the story because then the whole Seattle thing was happening one year later. So, yeah, I think for music lovers, like, uh, you know, hopefully everyone in their life has that experience, but it's kind of like, uh, I wasn't born, but I imagine where you were when JFK got shot, you know, cause everything is instantly different after that. And, you know, for, for a music lover being at that spot, being at that right, perfect time. And, and with that kind of lineup, whereas Alice in Chains was a little more of a bridge group than like say yeah. a Nirvana would be, Absolutely. Uh, but like just, seeing a different energy and a different uh, approach to music and hard rock and, and, and how you play the guitar and how you play with the Sonics, uh, you know, feedback and everything like that. It's moving from a more technical proficiency like you would have in a Megadeth guitar player, or Slayer guitar player. Uh, and then, you know, not to say Jerry Cantrell and, and everyone weren't technically proficient. It's just, they played it a different way mm-hmm. and it's just like being there for that sea change uh just like uh, again i hate you because i'm so jealous but yeah that's that's a that's a kick-ass show it was it was it was that it was that (laughs) very nice derek yes first show first show was it's kind of weird because my first show was kind of like like kind of like the nader when I go back at my experiences because of, of who it was and and where it was. So my first concert ever was I was in the air force and I was in Madrid and we had uh, my girlfriend at the time was also in the jazz. And as a surprise, we, uh, she had bought me a, uh, to attend the miles Davis concert in Madrid. Uh, back in 85 i think so wow. yeah that, that was that was my first concert which is hard to beat that going forward oh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like yeah okay yeah. And, it, and, and i didn't i didn't realize it because i'm like 19 20 at that time so i had i had been listening to jazz kind of through my grandpa you know uh and then i had my first jazz album that i had bought was a mccoy tyner album um, and so that was kind of my intro. And then, you know, you read the liner notes and you're scouring that. And of course, Miles Davis is going to come up. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I was, I was, I was, uh, I was familiar with Miles Davis, but I didn't, I wasn't giving him the respect at the time that that experience really deserved. You know, I was like, dang. So going back, it was like, wow, that was crazy. Like 10, 15, 20 years later is like, I was at that show and it was like amazing because he was still turning his back to the crowd. I didn't understand the significance of that uh, until I was much older. And so it was kind of like a experience that kind of better uh, an appreciation for that experience as I, as I grew older. Um, So yeah, that was, uh, and then the last show I saw was Bonnevere in, uh, in Detroit with my son. So that was awesome. That was last last fall. So that was very nice. Man, Miles Davis in 85 in Spain. Yeah, that was shut shut down the podcast now. Uh Derek wins. Yeah, you guys make my Tanya Tucker thing actually feel like like stupid, (laughs) stupid, stupid Uh, shit. But the the thing about that experience, I didn't know what I was experiencing, you know, at the time. I didn't know how. Yeah. 
how kind of important that was at that time. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great concert. I loved it, but it was like it hit me later. Like it didn't hit me to like you know fifteen twenty years later to how how important that was. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man. Wish I would have known you in '85. You could right? have told you could have told me that I was should be listening to more jazz. Yeah, and you could have had to wait a decade. Me. I was six. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man. Well, I've brought up my first show. I, th- I, just, I just realized this. I brought my I brought up my first show on a on a um, past episode, but um, and I was trying to remember. So I, I mentioned last week the uh, Bell Biv DeVoe, Keith Sweat, Johnny Gill show at the Forum, and very close to that time was the other show. And I can't remember which one, but since I already talked about that one last week, I'll talk about the other one, which is um, NWA, Ice-T. Easy e did a solo set. And if I remember correctly, I was tr- I'm still trying to remember. I think the gentleman's name <laughs> is King T. Um, and I was trying to remember if it was King T or if it was the DOC that, that, that also performed at the old Celebrity Theater in Anaheim, California, uh, and I don't remember, I don't know if the celebrity theater still exists, but it was a rotating stage. So it was quite incredible watching NWA perform on this rotating stage because it made the sort of in your face performance much more uh, sort of electric because they were moving around and um, it was, uh, it was amazing. And the easy um, solo set was incredible um but i also remember being a kid a suburban kid of of 17 who was who was chaperoning three uh, three women as or, th- or three girls as i was during the bell bib devo show uh to the show and um i don't think that nwa actually played la during that time if i remember correctly i think they were banned from playing some venues and i think that's why they played the celebrity theater so there was quite the group um that uh that attended that show um there was a good mix of people from la and long beach uh and then also orange county so uh i was sort of half watching and enjoying the show and half just kind of watching myself and (laughs) watching and looking (laughs) after the people that i was with um because i'll admit i was i was i was intimidated i was intimidated being you know 16 or 17 i think it was 17 at the time uh with with a lot of adults and a lot of larger people than me um but it was an incredible show it was a uh, it was a lot of fun and uh yeah i i, I feel fortunate because when i tell people that 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 show i think I've, I've heard a couple of people say that they remember they remember that show that tour but it seems like a cool piece of history now the, to see all of those people assembled in the same place so there you go yeah, I definitely lose the uh, first concert uh, <laughs> battle here, <laughs> but it was it was fun, and I got a corn dog, so we're all good. There you go, <laughs> Tanya Tucker and a corn dog. There's a T-shirt right there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of T-shirts, have we plugged the merch yet? We haven't. So uh, if you guys haven't haven't seen the social posts, we have a merch store up now. Um, currently we have a series of t-shirts, the people behind the bands t-shirts. So they're not the band names, they're not the logos, they're not the images. They're just the people behind the bands. For instance, we have a classic, a John Coltrane classic quartet 
t-shirt that, that shows Coltrane, Garrison, Tyner, and Jones. Uh, so there's some cool t-shirts up there. I just added a few others, the vacation era go-go's, um, and some other really cool, cool shirts. So out at, um, at T public and the store is called not three states of sound because they removed the three just states of sound. But also if you go to our Instagram at three states of sound, I have a link there in our bio and our link tree. So check it out. Um, there is a sale going on right now at T public. I think for the next day or two, uh, 35% off. So please get a t-shirt, have stickers as well, mugs, pillows. There's velvet underground in there. There is, God, see, I should have done this. There's De La Soul in there, which looks really cool. I have a t-shirt with a, a De La Soul t-shirt. There's the hyena era Susie and the Banshees with Robert Smith in the band. So there you go. That's a cool one. That's a cool little piece of history right there. So get over to the store, please. Thank you. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. <laughs> so our live show experiences. So those are our first shows. Now, our most memorable show. So now we all have had, you know, a good, what, 20, 25 years of attending shows. Um, what is that one show that stands out? Oh, well, we lost Derek. And I have to warn you guys, hopefully we don't lose me too. We are, my, light, my lights are flickering out here because it's starting to snow in Montana. So hopefully that oh, doesn't happen. Man. But anyway. Um, hopefully Derek will be back soon. In the meantime, we'll just, we'll just move on here. So, uh, your most memorable, whatever it is, for whatever reason, was it the girl you, the girl or the guy that you attended the show with Did something happened at the show? Was it a band you always wanted to see? Did you almost get into a fight at the show? It happened a couple of times to me. Uh, what is that most memorable show for you? Joshua Hicks. All right. Yeah. So most memorable show, I, I, I'm going to split it up into two uh, because they're memorable for different reasons. Uh, when I was around 17, I went to Edge Fest in Tulsa. That's in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, it's one of those big, you know, radio, the rock radio pulls together their own, you know, mini Lollapalooza type type deal. And yeah. it's always a pretty uh, mishmashed group of, of, rock bands and, and things like that. Uh, and it was going to be Sugar Ray was the headliner and Helmet was playing, which Helmet was, you know, really cool and heavy. Uh, and there was a, a lesser known band opening up. So when, before it was getting dark uh, and this band was called Smash Mouth <laughs> and they had a, they had, a, they had a few songs out on the radio, you know, the walking on the sun and actually you know, the early Smash Mouth was, was actually really good. I, I think, I, I think it still holds up. Um, but being a, you know, small town kid at this rock show, hardly ever get to go out and do anything like, you know, mid nineties. Uh, I, I just wanted to mosh, you know, like that was such a cool thing I've seen on TV and everything. So I wanted to mosh. And when uh, Smash Mouth was playing, not really a band you would mosh to. Right. But they kind of had a, you know, a little bit of a, ska-ish element to some of their songs and so a skank pit opened up which a skank pit is 
you know, just the, the baby cousin of, of a mosh pit. So I was in the skank pit, like doing my best to skank dance and uh, actually butted heads with this other dude. So it wasn't moshing. We weren't being aggressive, but my head hit his head and it split my eyebrow just completely open. Right. And I didn't realize it because it's just like we bang heads and, uh, and this is like, you know, midsummer. And, uh, so, you know, I'm already sweaty and I, and I feel I'm like wiping sweat off my face and I look down and like my hand is covered in blood. And so I was like, Oh, I must've cut myself. And again, you know, it wasn't hurting. And so, uh, I turned to go to the, uh, emergency tent, you know, first aid tent. And when I turned back to the crowd that was just tightly packed, you know, big outdoor concert, I swear to God, it was like I was parting the Red Sea. Like people looked at me and their faces, like jaws dropped, like, <gasps> and like just a cr the crowd just parted. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's worse than I thought. And so I get to the first aid tent and they were like, yeah, all right, you need to go to the hospital and get stitches right now. And I was like, what? Like, no, it's too early. Like, can't you just like, you know, tape it up and, and you know, I can make it through a uh, helmet and sugar Ray. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, we highly advise against this, but if you refuse to leave, so they put a couple of butterfly bandages on it and then wrapped my head in gauze. Right. Nice. And so I, I was steadily just like losing blood throughout the day and I wasn't hydrating properly. And I finally found my sister who was a year older than me and she had driven there uh, you know, a couple hours later and I, I look like a war victim. Like, <laughs> you know, and she's like, what the, what happened to you? And I was like, Oh, smash mouth. Um, and, uh, but I made it through the whole thing. And then when I got back home, Oh, and we also lived like two hours away from Tulsa. So it was like two, three in the morning when I got back and then I had to go to the emergency room. I still have a big scar on my eyebrow. Uh, it looks super cool. It looks like I'm really tough, but no, I was skanking at a smash mouth concert, <laughs> had to get <laughs> stitches, probably the lamest uh, concert experience, but my best concert experience or just the, the most magical one. Uh, when I was in college in Norman, Oklahoma, you know, I've, I've mentioned before that, uh, got to work on some of the flaming lips music videos, like Yoshimi Bounds, pink robots. Do you realize first video they made for that? Um, and, we missed getting tickets for the closer lips show. Uh, I think they were, there was one in Oklahoma city and then one in Dallas and we didn't get tickets. Me and my friends didn't get tickets for either of those, but then we discovered there were tickets available in Houston for the show coming up. And that's a massive drive from Norman down to Houston, but we're like, Oh, we'll make a road trip out of it. So my roommate who had a credit card got these tickets and we drove all the way down to Houston. When we get to the box office, they said, Oh, did you not get the, uh, the email, your credit card? Like there was a problem with it. So we didn't get your tickets. And my friend's roommate had failed to tell him that we actually didn't get these tickets. So we drove all the way to Houston. And so we're like, ah, oh, man, like, are there any seats available? And they're like, well, we do have like five seats available, but we're not supposed to sell them because it says there's an obstruction. So if you want, we'll sell you these tickets and you'll just have to deal with whatever. It could be behind a wall. It could be a bar. Like we don't know what it is, but that's the last available. And we're like, okay, yeah, might as well uh, get them. Uh, 
And so we bought these tickets and this tour was the Flaming Lips and Beck. And it's when the Flaming oh, Lips yeah. were actually Beck's backing band. Like Beck had Sea Change out uh, at the same time. And I'm, I'm a huge, huge Beck fan uh, as well. And so we bought the tickets and there were like, I don't know, like say five different levels in this old theater. We were in the last level, the last seats, but thankfully the obstruction was just a bar going across uh, our view. So, you know, if you just tilted your head a little bit, you could see everything fine. And even though we were, you know, uh, BFE away from, from the stage, like the, the, the whole set production and everything was, was enough eye candy even from that far away to make it uh, just an awesome experience. And uh, just before the show started, uh, I went down to go grab something to drink. And so you get, I got an elevator. That's how high up we were. So I took the elevator down, got my drinks and I get, I'm getting back onto the elevator to go up and Steve draws from the lips was in there. And I had just, help them with the music video like a couple of weeks earlier and so i was like oh hey steve i'm sure you don't remember me but we drove all the way from oklahoma city to see this show and kind of like gave him the spiel hoping that maybe he would say like ah well we'll just get you guys backstage but we hit his floor and he was like cool hope you enjoy the show and just like went away uh <laughs> But then we hung out later, and I, got, I did get Wayne and Beck to sign the suit jacket that I was wearing, and I still have that in my closet. So, uh, overall, 24 hours worth of driving, failed tickets, last seats in the house, obstructed view, but the whole experience, that, that concert was just magical, and I would do it all again. All right, Jeff, how about you? Your most uh, memorable concert experience? I'm going to – gloss quickly over one because like Josh, he had like kind of a two part thing. Uh, but I'm going to go into detail on the second one just because it was so different and unique. So the first one I won't go into deeply because it's another, in essence, it's another grunge thing, but uh, Lollapalooza two, I went to in Chicago. This is when Lollapalooza toured the country. Didn't just right. hit a spot or whatever. It was Lollapalooza two in the lineup. I'll start from beginning to end was lush Pearl Jam, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Soundgarden, Ice Cube, Ministry, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And in 1992, when that happened, it was in an outdoor venue in the Chicago area. When that, I mean, all of, I mean, really, I'm looking at them and like all of those bands were at, at or near their peak at that point. It was, it was amazing. But the reason I bring that up real quick is because it also happened to be the second date, my second date with my current, with my wife, who I ended up marrying. So it was for us, all of those bands are kind of just cemented and they're just part of us now. So kind of a cool nice. thing. What, was you know, there one, one song or performance in there where you looked over and you were like, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> no, was, it, was it Spoon Man? I mean, that is just yeah, a, a sexy romantic song. It wasn't Spoon Man. Was, I'm trying to think 92. Oh, yeah, Super Unknown maybe was not out yet. Spoon Man was the next year, I think. I don't think there was Spoon Man. Yeah. Well, maybe it was full-on Kevin's mom. There you uh, go. There you go. <laughs> no, there wasn't a certain song. I remember the Pearl Jam and the Jesus and Mary Chain sets, like, stand out to me from that night. They were amazing. But, yeah, it's no particular song or whatever. 
It wasn't uh, in the middle of the ministry set because that usually does it for me right there. What's Psalm that? 69? Wasn't in, it wasn't in the middle of the ministry set? No, no. <laughs> no, that was, man. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a wonderful show. The, uh, the one, though, that I was going to – would really probably be the one just because it was so unexpected. I, so I went to school at Columbia College, Chicago, which is located right in the south loop of downtown Chicago. And my dorm at that time was two, three blocks, just a couple blocks from a little blues club, a little smoky blues club, club uh, Buddy Guy's Legends. So it was Buddy Guy's Blues Club. Mm-hmm. It, it was just the coolest place. I hardly got a chance to go in there ever, but one day just closed the books, went with a friend, went with a roommate. That uh, One of my roommate was from Japan. We went decided to just go to a show, ended up being just, I don't even remember who it was. It was just, I think, like a local blues group, and they were great, and it was awesome, and just smoky little atmosphere. There were probably only 60, 70 maybe max people in the room that I remember. They're playing. We're enjoying it. It's great. And then out, swear to God, honest to God, truth, out of nowhere, I think it must have just been that he was in town for a show himself at some point around then. Eric Clapton steps on the stage, like absolutely unannounced, knew somebody in the group and like stepped on stage and jammed. I I don't even remember because I was just, I was frozen. It was two or three songs or just did a couple songs with them and then stepped off and was gone. And, but it was just one of those moments where, you know, because everybody, whether you like Eric Clapton or not, like, I think everybody knows what Eric Clapton looks like. Like, he's a recognizable <laughs> dude. And he steps up on the stage, and it was just like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, wow. <laughs> like, what's happening? That's it's, amazing. Like, I didn't even know that I was, like, you know, two hours earlier, I didn't even know I was going to be there. And now Eric Clapton's here. It's just, yeah. So that one, for obvious reasons, the unexpected was uh, – I'll just never forget. Yeah, that's that's magical. You know, it'd it, be like uh, it was. I can't unicorn. even, and it was so numbing that I cannot tell you what songs that he would have played. I don't know if it was his own or not. Like, I have no memory of that. Like, he walked on the stage, and then it was just like, Time know, <laughs> I was a dork. I was geeking out. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> that's super cool. Right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was. It's a great club too. I um, that and uh, what's the club in Chicago? Um, Kingston Mines. Have you ever okay. been to Kingston yeah. Mines in Chicago? Yeah, that's yep. a great club as well. What was, year? When did you see? When did you go to Buddy Guys? Because they have re- since, boy, maybe two thousand five or so they kind of opened in another location. So they've been in two locations. It would have been after that. Okay. So it must have okay. been whatever the new location is. Yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be in Chicago for four or five years in a row. And nice. even though it was, it was in February when the weather yeah. was terrible, it was always nice oh, to go to those clubs. Yeah. And everything. Yep. Absolutely. So man, we've had Eric Clapton in Chicago and Miles Davis in Spain. This is, this is getting rough <laughs> for me and Josh. We're going to have to catch up here. Um, how about you, Derek? Although your first show. It's kind of like, like my last. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's kind of like, um, I think it, it, can, it can definitely hold down 
uh, both spots without any problem. And I don't think anyone would be mad. Um, <laughs> Did Liberace sing you to sleep for your most memorable show? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, who, who, would, who would I pick to have, who, who would I have if I had to pick anyone or who would you guys pick to sing you to sleep? If, if you could be sung <laughs> to sleep by, by, by one particular artist, no matter, you know, living dead or whatever, who would it be? Otis Redding. Yeah. Otis, ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to pick Prince because, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could go to sleep if Prince is singing. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to do other things. Man, either Sam I'm Cook. I'm still so affected. Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh-huh. Or Diana Ross. Oh, I know who I would pick. Now I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, I would pick, um, I would pick Shirley Horn or, uh, uh, yeah, I'd pick Shirley Horn or Sarah Vaughn. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think that I would actually fall asleep if this was happening. But when you said sing for me, the only name that came to my head was Tom York. I'm just like, it has to happen. Mm. <laughs> Please make that happen. Sing for me. Yeah. yeah. He'd be all dancing around. Yeah. Like, I mean, just because I need to see like the little jitter thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we could get Tom York to do uh, a bunch of lullabies. Like that, that would, that would, uh, I would play that every night I have my, my daughter. They have so Josh, I'm gonna tell you something. So do you remember there was a year, many years, a couple decades ago, I think, where they made these lullaby CDs, like the Cure had one and oh, yeah, like, yeah. And there was a Radiohead one that was like in lullaby, like I had it and played it for my daughters when they were when they were younger, like when they were little in the crib and stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I, I found uh, a heavy metal lullaby playlist. And when Edith was really small, uh, <laughs> I would just play that and I would like sing the lyrics to her. And like, you know, it's like Metallica one is playing, you know, and I'm like softly landmines have taken my, <laughs> taken my speech. And it's like a music box lullaby plan. I was like, I'm going to mess this kid up. So, so then we switched to Disney <laughs> songs made as yeah. music box lullabies. But, but I, I could do some, some Radiohead uh, lullabies for sure. That would be, uh, I could just imagine that putting me to sleep. Like, oh, yeah. Well, the Rockabye Baby people, you guys, it, I missed the, the part there you guys were talking about. Were you guys talking about the Rockabye Baby people? The people who do the, the lullaby albums, the compilation? I think that was it. I didn't know what they were called. Yeah. Yeah, they still do them and they do a lot. In fact, the last record store day, there was this beauty that came out that I was able to pick up. This is the Rockabye Baby <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan. What? This is wonderful. If you That's guys, absolutely it. Yeah. And um, these guys do a great job. So they're, I mean, they're, they're a real band and, and, and they work with the artists, but I mean, the whole, all the packaging, everything that they do, it's, it's wonderful. And these things are, they sell out quickly too. That so. is kick ass. I want that. I, I, I'm going to look that up. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Man. I like that. Wu-Tang is one of my most favoritest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Rap. Pick it up. Find Rap. it. 
And the cool Ever. thing is that, is that these releases, of course, if you guys know anything about Record Store Day, uh, I know you guys do, but I mean like everybody listening, is that um, these only are available through local yep. independent yep. record stores. So boom, there you go. There's another benefit. Was that the second drop? Because I know they got the three this year. Correct. That- second drop. Yep. The second drop is that I went to the first one. The second drop is the only record store day I haven't been to. And I don't know how long. And oh, I, and I, if I would have saw that, I would have scooped it up. There's some good stuff in that second drop. There was a, okay. a, a, a label called Kraft put out a couple of great albums. One by an artist named Camille Yarbrough. If you're familiar with the yep. Fat Boy Slim song, um, Praise You. That's where the, 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 the solo audio clip or sample is taken from. And then also a, a great salsa artist. His name is uh, Willie Cologne. Uh, Kraft put a, an album out by him on that second drop. So yeah. Um, and if you're lucky enough to still find some of those in your record stores, there was some great stuff. And the next drop I believe is uh, it's coming up soon. It's October 24th or the 26th. I feel bad for not. It knowing is, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so check it out. And then also there's uh, there's black Friday through record store day. And um so again, local independent record stores. So get out there and get your stuff. God, yeah, I yeah. Enjoyed this last drop. This last drop was great. Oh, throw your money away wisely at yes, your local yeah. record store. Yeah, and and you know what? I'm I'm sorry to get to sort of slightly just get a little political here, maybe in a way, but fuck Tower Records. I know that I've talked about my history with Tower Records, and I certainly grew up with them. But you know. I'm, I'm, I'm very suspect with this sort of standing on the sidelines and now that everything's, go, now that everything's great. I don't know who's running them um, and I don't know who's benefiting from it, but I have no intention of sending any of my money for vinyl to Tower Records or to Amazon or to any of the big box stores that are selling vinyl. Continue to support your local record stores. Don't, don't, don't be fooled by the, the warm and fuzzy story of Tower Records return. Don't do it because when they abandoned the music fan, your local record stores were still there. So stick with them. Stepping down from my soapbox. Yeah, I, I buy, I buy, my, I buy all my stuff from either Bandcamp, which I love Bandcamp. That's yeah. one of my favorite uh, uh, venues in which to discover new artists. And now that they've, I remember when Bandcamp was like about six, seven years ago. It was six years ago? Uh, they were just so they were small and they were just. But now they're just so many people. Now, now you can actually go on there and see how much money you can see how much money that the artists because they work with the artists. So there's no record label. They, they, all that money goes to the artists, um, which yeah. I really love. And I either buy from my local record store or I buy a lot of it through Van, uh, through Bandcamp. Um, yep. So yeah, very good. And that's my thing with Prince now. I really can't can't buy any new Prince stuff. I can't buy it. If I didn't have it before, because I just feel that it's all, you know, a week after. The, he wasn't dead a week, and they're trying to drill into, his, into the vault to get to his mm-hmm. songs. And it's just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. It's not what he would have wanted. Yeah. So I can't, yeah. I, I can't support anything that's being put out uh, after his, his death. I'm just not going to do it. Um, yeah. So, well, I think I, I think we both, or we cut you off, Derek, right? As you were going to talk about we your did. most memorable show. Or didn't we? Yeah, we no, did. It was still, Sorry about still, that. <laughs> no, it was, it was Miles. It is. Okay. That's the most okay. memorable show. I, yeah, it, it still is. Yeah. The first and most memorable. It was, it was, yeah. Nice. Very nice. So, like I said, I, I don't think anyone would, would feel bad 
don't feel cheated <laughs> by, say, by me saying that. Well, I feel um, cheated that you got to go to that and not me, but that's par for my life growing up yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool because I said I didn't know I was going. Uh, she had bought them uh, for me or for us unexpectedly. Um, and it was like, wow, this is cool. So yeah. it was a, a really cool experience. So That's super awesome. Well, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to go to some pretty amazing shows in my life. Um, Law of Palooza 92 was absolutely amazing. I, I, I actually, the 1991, the, the first Law of Palooza, I went to the show, but I didn't go to the show. I, I drove there to Irvine Meadows, did not have enough money to buy a ticket. So me and three friends, you could still buy parking. Uh, and it was a festival. So it was, we just, we, we bought a parking ticket, uh, sat in the parking lot. Um, there were food vendors in the parking lot and you could hear the bands cause it's outdoor, uh, an outdoor auditorium. So we just sat in the parking lot all day and listened to the bands, um, instead of going in. So 92 was my first proper Lollapalooza, which was, yeah, that was a great, was, a great show. It was, it was strange watching the Jesus and Mary chain play in the daytime though. There was something yes. very odd about that. <laughs> it was, I was fascinated by them. So I enjoyed it. But it was, it was strange in the daytime. And I don't, at least when I saw them too, it wasn't, I was just infatuated with them, like the songs. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, there wasn't this spectacular thing. I don't even remember them having an amazing stage presence at all. No. And it was so into the music that, yeah. Yeah, and they, if I remember correctly, they had nothing of a stage setup either. It was just a black backdrop, and it was just them, and that's all it was. It was. I, it was, I don't remember any. Yeah, <laughs> and that was that was the year too, because wasn't that was the same year that Honey's Dead came out, right? Which was like, there. I think there. Yes. Well, they have other more well-known albums, but I think Honey's Dead, in a way, at least, at least in Chicago, like that I was like late discovering them like yeah. that, that put them on the map for me. So yeah. <laughs> I, I remember, remember it was, oh. yeah, no, no, I remember discovering them shortly after I discovered skinny puppy. Ah, so, yeah. and it was kind of like, you know, if you listen to this, I remember one of my friends like check out this. And uh, so that's how I was introduced to them. But first I was listening to skinny puppy or got introduced to them. And then as a result of that, I discovered a ministry. So, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah. 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 And, uh, man, yeah, the first, I I went to the first four or five Lollapaloozas, all great. And remember the year that Primus and Fishbone played. That was was the next, that was was the next year. I was going to ask you since you, I went to 93 as well. There was a there was a lineup switch in the middle of that tour, the U.S. part of that tour, and it was ba- I saw them with Babes in Toyland there, which I wish I would have seen because Tool was the band that flipped out with yeah. them. Did you did you see them? Uh, the bill? No, Tool Tool was not on the same uh, was on the same okay. bill for us either. Yeah, I believe it was Babes in Toyland. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as much as I enjoyed those Lollapaloozas in terms of a, of just a, a, a memorable moment, like just a beautiful moment or just, just a wonderful time. So in, um, in 2003, I remember reading one of the British publications enemy or Q or something. And, um, 
And Noel Gallagher had mentioned that he was a really big fan of Kings of Leon, who at that point had not really played the U.S. I believe there was the one EP that was out, the one with the cherries on it. I can't remember what it was called, but it's, uh, it's the one that has wicker chair on it, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, and so their tour popped up for the U.S. And I got tickets to go to the Troubadour, uh, to, to, to go to the Troubadour show. Um, but right before that, but uh, the Troubadour show is the one I'm going to concentrate on. But right before that, a show had popped up at the Viper Room. And uh, my girlfriend, who became my wife at the time, we were, we were talking about, like, there's no way we're going to get in to this show. It, it just sort of popped up that day. We figured maybe there'd be, like, celebrities there, just people who are, you know, because if you've ever been to the Viper, the Viper Room, it's a very, very small place. Um, so we showed up, no tickets available. We decided to stand behind the velvet rope and uh, just wait to get in to see if they'd let anybody else in. And a line started, started to sort of accumulate to grow behind us. And people were yelling at the doorman, a very large man um, telling him to, you know, let people in people were coming out and they're like, Hey, there must be room. There must be room. And he's like, I I'm waiting for somebody to tell me something. So shut the fuck up and just stop bothering me. Meanwhile, me and my girlfriend, being at the front of the line, we kept our mouth shut the entire time. And about four songs in, he just looked at us with this annoyed look on his face and he just said, you, you, go, go in. Uh, and I think we were the only two people he let in. Um, so we ran upstairs quickly. I ran, I ran so quickly that I forgot to stop by the desk to pay for my ticket. And I started running up the stairs and my girlfriend pulled me back, told me we still had to pay. <laughs> and uh, we ran upstairs and it was wonderful. You could barely see, I mean, the Viper Room also, it's not a raised stage. It may be slightly raised. So you go in there and you just feel like you walked into the largest house party ever, uh, just packed, crammed. So I uh, went to that show. But the, the Troubadour show was amazing. And when I went to the bathroom, I ripped this off the wall and I still, I still haven't hung. But this was the Kings of Leon show in September of 2003 at the Troubadour. Um, Wait, 2003, I, so that's 17 years. You're probably past the statute of limitation for... Uh, <laughs> burglary <laughs> yeah yeah so there you go i stole this but um if you guys remember how young they were the bass player he was like a couple of weeks shy of if i remember if i looked at wikipedia correctly he was a couple of weeks shy of his 17th birthday he was 16 when they played this show wow. <laughs> and it was absolutely the most debaucherous night that I've ever seen on stage. So it was Kings of Leon and Jet opened up for them. You guys remember the Australian yeah. retro rock band Jet. Um, but my God, I felt like I was at like a Stones, like an old Stone show with like Mick and Keith just being just completely wasted. Um, there were some, there were simulated, simulated fellatio moment on stage, which is odd because I think they're cousins and, it was just an incredible night. I got very, very drunk and I was just having a ton of fun. And it, it just reminded me that, or th that night always reminds me that, you know, if, if you're going to see a show at the Troubadour and if you have a memory of the Troubadour, that's kind of the show that you want to talk about. Like something that's kind of like a dirty retro rock night uh -huh. at the Troubadour. It just felt right. The whole night was wonderful. Um, so that goes down, even though they're not my favorite band. I love them very much, but they're not my favorite band. But that is absolutely my, probably my most memorable night. Um, that's, yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah. I, and I love that, uh, you know, from living in LA for a long time, 
you know, the Viper Room has has a certain mystique. You know, it was owned by Johnny Depp. Uh, I think uh, Phoenix River Phoenix, uh, yeah, died out right. in front died of there. that. Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, but it is a small venue and it's kind of a dive bar. Yeah, and um, I, I had one of the more surreal Hollywood nights there. Like when I was first in LA, uh, you know, this is like two thousand four, maybe two thousand five maybe um a friend of mine grew up in malibu and he was friends with a bunch of uh a bunch of malibu kids uh, one of which being brody jenner uh and at the time brody was dating Kristen cavallari who was on um, i think laguna beach uh mtv reality ish show um and so brody had a band called face humper and they were playing at the Viper Room. And so my friend was like, hey, you want to go see Face Humper at the Viper Room? And I was like, I don't know what any of that means, but sure, it'll be great. And yeah, we went. And this is like, I didn't, you know, I'd seen the Kristen Cavallari on, on TV a little bit, but it wasn't like she was, you know, super famous at the time. And, and I had no idea who Brody Jenner was other than he was Bruce Jenner's kid, right? Because Kardashians hadn't become a thing yet. Uh, so went there and I can remember I got a Miller High Life and uh, the bartender was like, wait, what? What do you want? I don't think we have that. And I was like, no, it's it's on your list there. And it's like, I think they just like had like the last Miller High Life that had been there since like 1987 because no one was in <laughs> shitty beer. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, then we went over to, you know, get some, uh, some food at like Swingers or some, you know, all night diner over there. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really weird night hanging out with reality TV stars. Uh, oh man. Yeah. It, it was fun. And, and actually, you know what? Face Humper wasn't bad. Like they were kind of like a party <laughs> punky band. Uh, they, 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 they were a good time. So Brody Jenner, I'm sure you're a fan of this podcast. Uh, good job. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have you on next week. So Josh, you were just, as you were talking, I was, I was reminded of the shows that we attended together and, and also my, my thieving ways. And, uh, I ripped this off the wall too. Uh, this is the fruit bat show that we went to. I don't know if you can see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was in the bathroom and I ripped this one off the wall too. So that was uh, September 29th, 2016 at the bootleg theater. That place was interesting. It was like a, it was cool. It was like a hipster bar slash performance. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of less interesting now without that, that photo on the wall. So, you know. <laughs> right. that, that really tied the room together and you just, yeah, just pissed all it. over their design scheme. <laughs> oh, man. They had to fill it with something from the world market. Oh, that was a, that was a fun show. That was a great show. You weren't, you, you weren't, con- I don't think you were convinced going in because you had had a bad experience with a, a fruit bats fan of uh, in your life, didn't you? Yeah, there it comes. Yeah. There's the anger in your eyes. I can see it. It was just, um, when I was in college, I dated this girl briefly and she was way out of my league. And I think her friend who also had a crush on her realized that. And then, so we met up at a bar and he was one of those, like, like I can be, I can be a total hipster. I get it, but I don't try to be a hipster. I don't have that air of elitism. I just happen to like, you know, really tacky shit. Um, And so this kid was like, Hey, what kind of music do you listen to? And I was like, I like everything. And he's like, rolls his eyes. He's like, uh, what's in your C, uh, your CD player? 
And I was like, well, the Foo Fighters are in my tape player. And he was like, <laughs> oh. And I was like, well, what do you listen to? And he's like, you wouldn't have heard of it. And yeah, it was the Fruit Bats. So just an annoying little piece of shit. Fuck. Dumb. <laughs> dumb. Dumb. You've been thinking about ever since. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we've come to that point in the night where we're going to, what is it? Is it a game? Is it a, a list making exercise? Is it a bit of creativity? Whatever it is, it comes from our friend Josh Hicks, who's put together something for us tonight. One, to have a little fun. Two, to create a killer playlist. And three, to move the conversation along because we'll just fucking, this will devolve into just madness if we keep going. So Josh, tell us what you have lined up for right. this evening. So we've talked about our first live experiences. We've talked about our best live experiences. Some of us went into some poor live experiences. Now we are going to use our imagination and summon the rock and roll, soul, jazz, country, bluegrass for some potentially, demons and angels and put together our own perfect show. So we're going to imagine if we were going to put together a huge festival, what are our three headlining bands and what song do they join together like a super group such as Damn Yankees uh, <laughs> and perform a cover song at the very end to close out the show? This is going to be fun. Who's starting? So I start since I'm in my mouth. I say Jeff starts because he's you know, yeah. Guest, there you we know. go. Yeah, guests first. I, so I yeah I I've thought about this a little. I mine I do have so mine is the perfect festival or the perfect concert for right now, like this moment for me. Um, it's not necessarily none of them actually are the hugest bands but there are three that I would love more than any other right now to have all on the same bill. Um, and it's kind of just where I'm at. Um, I think if I had to name the festival, I don't know, I can't come up with a better name than modern roots, just because I feel like all three of these bands have a real rootsy, just they're so just rooted in, the past and where music has been, but they're all kind of bringing it forward in a way. Um, and the venue, I don't know, in the middle of a farm field somewhere in middle America, I don't know, just wherever. Um, the three bands that I would have, I think I talked, I talked about D white earlier cause I'm really high on him. So I won't get deep into him again, but it just an amazing songwriter. And I think an up and comer, um, Blackberry Smoke is another one. I'm a huge fan of theirs just because that's there's so much great bluesy southern rock country. It's just again, it just feels like something from the past, but it's happening today in like a a little bit of a fresh way. I think I've always I, and I just love their catalog. They're a great live band too, and they we'd be able to turn up the volume for that part of the show. And then, uh, and then I'd have closing it out. I'm just so high on Billy Strings right now that I'll bring him up again. 
just he'd close out the show. And when I think of those three, D. White, Blackberry Smoke, and Billy Strings, all on stage together, they jam the Ripple by the Grateful Dead all together to close out the show. And I just, I just leave weeping (laughs) in tears because that would just, I can see all three of those bands doing it, that song. And yeah, that would be the ultimate for me. I would pay money for that show. And I bet you could get a ton of beer vendors because that sounds like a, it sounds like a beer selling type show. There would be a lot of beer at that show. For sure. Uh, I do want to get some clarification from you though. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) Modern Roots, is that spelled like tree roots, R-O-O-T-S, or is that roots like roads? Hmm. I, I could be convinced either way. I mean, I, I thought of it as roots just because I feel like all three of those bands, like I say, all three of those bands' draws are so like uh, a part of where music has been. Like they draw so much from the path, from just – past like early country early you know blues just bluegrass like that kind of stuff but they're they're all bringing it forward in a slightly different more interesting way i think awesome all right so no, I, I went with r-o-o-t-s all right nice. well i'm asking because i'm putting together a business plan because i think this actually sounds like a profitable venture that could I, actually happen so <laughs> i post covid i want this damn thing to be my first concert make it happen Right. I also want to sing along to Ripple. That's one of the great like campfire sitting around, mm-hmm. little drunk, singing Ripple. Man, it's a great <laughs> song. That reminds me. Have you guys ever heard there was a there was a, a tribute to the Grateful Dead that came out in like the early '90s that had Jane's Addiction doing Ripple? You guys ever heard that? Uh-uh. Oh yeah, find it. It's oh. good. It's really good. Oh, now I got something to look up. Holy cow. Joshua, who's up next? You're in control, man. You got you have the controls of this ship. The rest of the way, you're gonna ride this out. I'm in control. Okay. Yes. Go, uh, Sulu. Go. Then I want. I want. I want to hear Derek's. Yeah. Mine's uh, <laughs> gonna be like. Okay. So mine's gonna be. Um, this is the name. I got the super. The super taste delicious traveling sermon. So <laughs> that's what it's called. So. I like rappers. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rap. This year has been like the the year of rap for me in a lot of ways because, uh, just I think I can channel all my frustration through through rap. When I when I when I when I when I feel like I can't take it and jazz doesn't work, then I I I, I instantly go to rap. And um, I think my 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 headliners would be if I can pull any any rap groups from any time is going to be Wu-Tang, uh, it's going to be NWA and Public Enemy. So those would be my three uh, headliners. And um, the song that I'd like them to do, I would love to see them do something by, uh, by Curtis Mayfield, but kind of do like, like use a sample from like a pusher man and to kind of uh, riff on that. It'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes place. It, it takes place at the Grand Canyon. At the Grand oh. Canyon. Oh, man. <laughs> at the top or the bottom? I don't know. I would. Lo- I, I kind of the way I see it. It would be at the top, and you had that kind of that view 
like the, the Grand Canyon would be that backdrop. Uh, be kind of cool. I think that'd yeah. be kind of cool. I uh, figured yeah. you'd be a top. John, would you, would you be a bottom? Oh. Uh, thanks yeah stop (laughs) okay all right so (laughs) i think i I think that's uh that'd be a kick-ass show yeah that that would be a legendary show that would be very nice uh all right i'll I'll go next so we'll we'll save you for last john because i'm sure yours is going to be uh super interesting um i'm going to call mine the specter tactical (laughs) vector tactical because that rolls off the tongue real nice um and this one is like i'm a i'm a huge fan of the production of phil specter not the person um and so i got some bands that that were um that 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 kind of make me think of phil specter and i think that'd be good uh number one obviously the ramones they actually did an album with phil specter and if you have uh you should listen to no dogs in space. They do a whole uh, like history of punk bands and they do a, like a four part series on the Ramones. It's fantastic. Uh, Really fun stuff in there. So the Ramones and they're just one of my favorite bands of all time. Second band is wizard with two Z's. And this is um, kind of a, a glam ish band glam prog. I don't, I don't really know what to classify them as, but if you look at their song, uh, angel fingers, uh, it's, it's kind of got like a doo-wop rhythm to it. And it's got a Phil specter wall of sound times 10. Like there's like bombs dropping in the background and just all this crazy noise, but it sounds like a, a 60s, uh, you know, doo-wop pop masterpiece. Uh, also check out the video because it's like costumes that they wear are just perfect for glam prog. Uh, and then the third would be Giorgio Moroder, famed yeah. producer, beat maker, disco pioneer. Uh, doesn't really have a Phil Spector sound, but he's also one of those legendary producers that, that just defined his own genre and and just makes you dance so Isn't donna uh, summers was that yeah is that donna summers producer yeah yeah exactly and he did like the never ending story he did a lot of uh, uh movie scores things like that yeah Giorgio Moroder, uh so good uh and the song that they would all come together and perform is probably my favorite song of all time and it's the ronettes be my baby yeah. You get the 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 hard rock, you know, punk rhythm guitars of the Ramones, the extra horns and thickness of a wizard production, uh, and just the solid Italian disco beats of Giorgio Moroder. <laughs> and it would be uh it would be a banger for sure. Man. Wow. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And totally Definitely doable. Does. Totally doable. Yeah, absolutely. I was lucky. I was lucky enough to, um, if you guys knew that there was a there was a Donna Summer uh, sort of bio show. I don't know what we call these things. A Broadway show about Donna Summer uh, a couple of years ago, and I was lucky enough when I was in New York to see it. And it was actually oh. the last night before it, it fully opened. So it was. I can't remember what you call these. There's a Previews. name for them for Broadway shows. What's that? Previews. Yeah, so it was preview, but it was it was like the last night where like the the um, the director came out and talked to us, 
Oh. Um, and he was very, you know, it was, it was great because it was sort of very emotional. He's like, you know, we've been through a lot to put this together and excited to finally bring it to Broadway. So it was like the last rap. It was like the last one. And it went perfectly. It was just beautiful. But wow, I walked away from that with tears in my eyes. It was Donna Summer's story is, is wonderful. So um, I'm not sure what the Broadway show is based on, but if it's based on a book or something else, try to try to check it out. It's a, it's a wonderful story. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. So John, what is oh your God. festival? We're going to go from that. I'm going to like bring it down just a little bit then. Um, so for anybody who, who knows me, I'm a, a huge fan of Roland S. Howard, the guitar player um, from the birthday party. Uh, so birthday party pre Nick cave um, birthday party was Nick cave, Roland S. Howard, Mick Harvey, Phil Calvert and Tracy Pugh on bass. And because I'm such a huge fan of his, and I feel like that even though there's been a movie made about his life, it's called Autoluminescence, um, and you can find it, I think, on either, net, not on Netflix, I think on, on uh, Amazon Prime. But I think that his impact in the world of guitar, especially what a lot of us have kind of grown up on is on the alternative side, that sort of scratchy, noisy guitar sound, um, Roland S. Howard, is is such an important sort of piece between uh sort of darker post-punk and uh and, and and kind of what we're listening to now if you listen to any sort of current nick cave or or even radiohead or um sort of the later sonic youth albums um roland s howard is like he's 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 a huge he's a huge inspiration for a lot of guitar players but just for a lot of artists in general um so i want to put on a roland s howard festival uh that is not creatively titled roland fest um because <laughs> i couldn't come up with anything better because i'm terrible at this but you know, um, sometimes simple sells so simple sells <laughs> yeah go with it yeah, so um, I thought about the lineup, and it's such sort of a sentimental kind of kind of it would be kind of a sentimental moment for me if all these these people were assembled. That of course I'd have to have Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds play, but I want Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and his other Nick Cave's other project, Grinder Man, uh, that, that he performs with uh, with Warren Ellis. Uh, I think those two just kind of really perfectly kind of sum up like how Roland still inspired Nick Cave even after they stopped making music together. So I definitely need to have them there. Um, uh, my God, this is what happens. I forget things, but I do write them down. Um, the festival would be in Berlin, Germany, which is famously where um, uh, the birthday party sort of moved to for a time. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories. If you, if you watch Autoluminescence, sort of how, Germans during that period were more interested in in kind of foreign bands than they were about anything going on in Germany, and so they kind of they they took to to birthday parties uh, in a big way. So it feels right. It felt like a home for them. So it would be in uh, it'd be in Berlin, Germany, and so the Bad Seeds, um, Sonic Youth, uh, only because I feel like that they they probably. Um, as contemporaries and what they were doing uh, sort of post Roland um, they're, they're directly influenced. I think that it would be great to, to see a reunited Sonic youth. I know that there's a lot from the personal side that has gone on with them, but I would love to think that they could get together 
in honor of Roland S. Howard. So that would be awesome to see them there. And then I wanted to add somebody in addition to those two, somebody who's like, who's really pushing bravery in music. And we've talked a lot about Ornette Coleman and free jazz and, 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 you know, the Velvet Underground and, and American experimental composers I've talked to you guys about. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of great moments in this country's history that don't get a lot of attention, but um, there still is great music out there that is pushing boundaries that is, um, approaching music with bravery and individualism and artistic expression that is not compromised. And I would love to see Kamasi Washington uh, play with Thundercat uh, at this show. I just think that that for me would be the cherry on this amazing festival Sunday. Uh, Cause those guys I think are just beautifully pushing uh, music as, you know, not, not, not as far as it can go, but they're not compromising themselves. And, and, and it's just great to see, that that line that that we've talked about, that line that we're drawing from free jazz and you know from Orn, Ornette and, and and Albert Eiler and Cecil Taylor, um, all the way through to what we're hearing now, I would just love to see Kamasi and Thundercat up there to pay tribute uh, in that show to somebody who also pushed the boundaries in Roland S. Howard. So there you go, that wraps uh, that wraps up my show there, um, and the show uh, itself uh, would be. Um, on Teenage Snuff Film, Roland S. Howard's debut album, he does an amazing cover of Billy Idol's White Wedding. And I would love to see that song done by a group of people that includes uh, the, the headliners that I mentioned, but it would be great to see some of the, some of the guys who played with Roland, like Lydia Lunch and, and Mick Harvey and others. So that would be a cool way to end that show. Yeah. I would also pay go. money to see that show. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Big fan of Kamasi, Washington. Um, I love Christian Scott at Tunde. So it's like they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, along with, uh, along with Robert Glasper and, you know, guys of that ilk. Um, yep. Yeah. Indeed. That'd be a great show. Great yeah. show. Great shows by everybody. So. Let's get those moving. We'll become promoters after this is over. <laughs> yeah, Start except mine has a lot of dead people in it. Uh, <laughs> uh, some of the key players are dead. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they have those uh, holograms now. The Tupac hologram. There's Tupac. Right. You know what? There's also a Ronnie James Dio hologram that <laughs> is actually, like, really popular, uh, which, which, you know, I, I am not a fan of the holograms of, of dead people. It feels, uh, it feels dirty to me, but if I had to see a hologram, see a duet of Ronnie James Dio and Tupac, uh, doing like, can you, can you imagine like Ronnie James Dio singing, uh, dear mama, or, you know, like, uh, there's some magic that could happen in there. <laughs> oh, if this, uh, if this gets any worse, we might have to rely on hologram shows. Pretty soon. You can just like shoot them right into our living rooms. Yeah. Every yeah. show will be Jim and the holograms. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super inspired. As soon as this goddamn virus uh, subsides and we get back to some semblance of normalcy, uh, first thing I'm going to do is go karaoke, to be honest. Uh, but the second is go out and see some live music in a live venue where I'm bumping up next to some sweaty asshole 
girl. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Girls can sweat too. Yeah, I was just going to say, don't rearrange those words with that statement. That you made. So. <laughs> I know, you real bad. Uh, um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to yeah. do it, doing my, my, my dumb little dance that's embarrassing, but hopefully it's dark enough and smoky enough if, if it's a divey enough place that no one notices. Uh, and just experiencing live music, even if it's terrible, like, you know, uh, I, I would go see a band that I don't even like just to have my eardrums hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And in all seriousness, I know a lot of these venues that we love so much are, are hurting right now, like we said. And if you visit any other websites, there's ways that you can still support those, those, uh, those venues. I think have like, you know, limited edition t-shirts, things, you know, merchandise, just things that you can do and also just supporting them monetarily. Um, you know, these, these venues have given us so much. I think that even though we're hurting as well, a lot of us financially um, giving a little bit back to, to those places is, is something that, that we should, we should really consider. Um, and hopefully they'll still be there when we're ready to come back because we need them. We absolutely need them. So thanks guys. This was an awesome show. We are going to, we are going to follow up sometime soon, sort of talking about um, a little bit of the business side of, 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 of the live experience and also what we think is going to happen after, after, uh, after the end of COVID and, uh, and kind of where we see live venues and, live opportunities coming from because of course we, you know we're all experiencing live music in different ways now sometimes on youtube sometimes in through other mediums so we'll have that conversation soon but this was absolutely incredible thanks guys for joining us um again the playlist will be up very very soon uh this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna be a great one i'm looking forward to hearing it um and you guys take care be well and we'll see you soon